Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Of the series hitting 231. 10 doubles, 9 home runs, 28 driven in, and a swing and a ground ball right of second. Off through into center field, a base hit. Garcia has scored. Candelario rounding third. He will trot in with run number three as Julio Rodriguez lobs the ball into second base. Corbin's 1 2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. That's a season's best nine strikeouts for Corbin and seven shutout innings here in Seattle. Now the pitch, fastball, swing and a miss, he struck him out. And bang, Zuma, Curly W's in the books. Final score, the Washington Nationals four, the Seattle Mariners one. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 29th, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It is nice to be back, uh, <laughs> even though my voice still is not 100%. But you know what? If Patrick Corbin can toss a gem, if Davey Martinez can get himself ejected once again, I can at least try to come back from illness. So good to be with you and great to see the Nats wrap up a 4-2 and trip out west with a 4-1 win at Seattle on Wednesday to take the series two games to one. It is amazing how many games the Nats have played against National League West and American League West teams so far this season. But the Nats now are done with the trips out West. And they, on this uh, last trip out West, did a nice job. Four and two, Nats now 32 and 48 on the season. Coming up later in the show, inside from Jim Callis, senior writer for MLB Pipeline, uh, the first of a multi-part conversation that he had with our own Tim Shovers. So the focus of this installment, the recovery of the Nats' top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli, from Tommy John surgery, but good to see the Nats win, playing a bit better here. Mark, nice to see you. How are you? I'm doing fine, Al. I'm glad to see you here. And, and look, don't sell yourself short. For those out there who don't realize just how much Al is playing hurt, in my mind, you've got the following three iconic moments in playing through adversity, playing through illness and injury. You've got Willis Reed, of course, the 1970 NBA Finals. You have Steven Strasburg in Game 4 of the 2017 National League Division Series. And you have Al Galdi on the evening of June 28th, 2023, discussing the Nats' 
4-1 victory over the Mariners. I think it stacks up with any of those, if not higher than any of those. Good to have you back, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. There was some mold in my bedroom earlier, so maybe that Strasburg <laughs> parallel, uh, it does in fact connect. But I appreciate Tim Shovers uh, doing the job that he did these last few games. Uh, you guys were awesome. I listened to you guys. Lots of stuff been happening with the Nats, clearly. And, you know, it's funny we referenced Steven Strasburg in Game 6 of that 2017 NLDS because Dare I say, Patrick Corbin on Wednesday was uh, Strasbourg-esque in how Corbin ended up pitching. It is so remarkable with Corbin. I mean, so many things are remarkable about what has happened with him these last few seasons. But you think about what we were coming off of. The last game that I was with you guys with was Corbin's last start, that debacle this past Friday night, the 13-3 loss at the Padres. Corbin in that game, seven runs in five innings. Well, what does Corbin do in this 4-1 win at the Mariners on Wednesday. He's excellent with maybe his best start since the decline started beginning with the 2020 season. I mean, you'd really have to think about it, but seven scoreless innings, nine strikeouts, no walks, gave up just five hits, all of which were singles. He threw a ton of strikes, 102 pitches, 68 strikes versus 34 balls. He had the slider working. I mean, this really felt like 2019 Patrick Corbin, and go figure, it came off an especially bad start for the guy. That's the amazing part. It's not like he had been building up to a game like this. This one sort of came out of nowhere a little bit. Now, he would tell you, Davey Martinez would say, he's been pitching better than the results have shown, that it's been one or two bad pitches that have ruined some outings. But let's be clear, this was way better than anything that we've seen from him. Yes, he has the occasional quality start thrown in here or there. This one was utter domination from the get-go strikes out four in the first two innings, is really efficient, retires a bunch of batters in a row. He gets through the fourth inning on 53 pitches, 37 strikes. When have we ever seen Patrick Corbin do that? At least any time in the last three years, when have we seen him do that? And then he finished strong. Sometimes he might look good for a little bit, and then he hits a wall, fifth inning, sixth inning, whatever it may be. He finished strong, 102 pitches, 68 strikes, seven complete innings. I thought there was even an argument, given the state of the bullpen, to let him go another one if you wanted to. They didn't need to do that. No need to absolutely push that. But this was a game that they needed their starter to give length. And the fact that he had the results on top of that, you know, just really added to it. Now, the one caveat here, after watching them the last three days, the Seattle Mariners lineup is not good. The way they were unable to push across the winning run late on Tuesday night, Fans here are really furious with them, their lack of execution. This is not a very good lineup right now. I think they know that, but it doesn't matter. You're Patrick Corbin. You have to take advantage of that. He still did everything he needed to do to put together seven scoreless on this game. Yeah, and I mean, the last few seasons, we have not seen him dominate teams that he maybe should dominate. I mean, for whatever it's worth, the Mariners entered the day like middle of the pack in the majors and team weighted runs created plus. So I mean, it's not like they've been atrocious on the whole this season. But yeah, I mean, it's not like you're facing some tremendously imposing lineup. I think it's so interesting with a guy like Corbin, especially with that slider. So obviously, that's the bread and butter pitch. If you look at the StatCast data, for this outing on Wednesday. So he threw the slider on 38% of the pitches, uh, the most of any pitch in this outing. But his average slider velocity was actually 3.1 miles per hour higher than his average slider velocity for this season. So he was throwing with some gas in this game. I don't know why that would be, but uh, it'd be. And clearly it was working. 
Yeah, he was asked about it and he just said sometimes it just feels better than other days. And I don't know if he realizes it in the moment, the actual velocity of it, but he could tell that it was a good pitch. It was coming out of his hand well. Obviously, it was getting swings and misses, so you're going to stick with it and throw it more. But that has been this kind of underlying question the last several years when trying to figure out what happened to Patrick Corbin. The slider, obviously his best pitch when he's been good, has not been anywhere nearly as effective. And we've talked about, well, is he throwing it too hard? Is he throwing it too soft? Where's the right middle ground there? Is he throwing it from the right arm slot to get the tilt on it that you want? Whatever it was that he had on this day, he figured it out and it worked to his benefit. Now, can he keep it up? We'll see in five days if it's anything he can do again. But it is nice to see that when things do align, when the stars align, that he can still do something like this. You just hope he could replicate it in some way because if they could get anything remotely close to this from Patrick Corbin on a regular basis, it would be a huge win for them. But I feel like we've had this conversation more than once over the last three years. And so I'm not going to get too excited over it. He even himself said, I'm not going to get too high over it when things go well, just like he tries not to get too low when things don't go well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's had good months during this stretch of bad pitching over these last three years and the good months have not ended up meaning anything. But, you know, it's a funny deal. His ERA now for this season is 493. And, you know, by normal pitching standards, that's really bad. But on the Corbin curve, a 493 ERA is drastically better than the 631 he had for last season, even the 582 that he had in the 2021 season. So, you know, if you want a glass half full it, you can say that we are seeing, you know, substantial improvement from the guy. It sounds pathetic. I get it. The ERA is a shade under five, but this actually quantifiably is an appreciably better Patrick Corbin as compared to these last two seasons. No, 100%. I think going into the season, I may have even said it like, if he could give you 160, 170 innings and an ERA under five, you would just be thrilled with that. And yeah, the bar has been set exceptionally low. That's the case when you've been the worst pitcher in the majors for the last three years. But if he can meet that very low threshold for success when grading on a curve, that would be fantastic for them. And in your absence, Al, there were some rumors being thrown around out there about the Mets maybe being willing to take on Corbin's contract as part of a larger trade for a reliever. When I tweeted out his final pitching line from this game, I was getting a lot of traction from people out there, not necessarily Nats fans, saying, wait a minute, maybe the Mets need to move on this right now, or if you're Nats, maybe try to sell high. I don't think anything's about to happen there. Tim and I went over the reasons why I don't think it would make a whole lot of sense for that trade to take place, but it's nice to see at least that is something that people can ponder out there that there's at least a reason to consider if that's anything to do. Yeah, I mean, SNY had the report uh, a little less than a week ago now, and that is the dream scenario. Can you dump Corbin and his salary on a big market team like, you know, say the Dodgers or the Yankees, but uh, he's got to do a little more than what we've seen so far, but at least we can entertain that notion. So, you know, we had Corbin doing well on Wednesday, and we also had the Nats bullpen doing a pretty good job in this game. You know, it's been a weird last few days with this bullpen. A lot of roster moves, a lot of high variance. Some games have been really good, other games not so good. I mean, I guess that's kind of how it is with a lot of bullpens, but especially 
this Nats bullpen this season. So two Nats relievers on Wednesday combined to allow one run in two innings. We had the debut of Amos Willingham, uh, the guy who replaced our guy, Paolo Espino, this past Monday evening with the Nats uh, selecting the contract of Willingham from AAA Rochester and optioning Paolo back to Rochester off the one bad outing that he had there on Saturday night. And Willingham in this game, I mean, you had to laugh. This is his major league debut he allows a run in the bottom of the eighth. He, to the first batter he faces, gives up a homer. And he gives up the homer to the Mariners' number nine batter, Jose Caballero, to left field. Cuts the Nats' lead to 4-1. Now, this was an interesting plate appearance. I mean, not to like go too heavy on Amos Willingham here, but Caballero was down 0-2. Then what should have been a called strike three ends up being a called ball two. And then on the next pitch, Willingham gives up the home run. I mean, how about that for a guy's first major league confrontation, right? He's making his pitching debut, and that's what ends up happening to him in this appearance on Wednesday. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, One of uh, multiple moments for home plate umpire Derek Thomas in this game that did not go especially well, at least not if you're on the Nationals side of things. But good on Willingham. He bounced back from that, got three straight outs, and ended up getting through his first major league appearance without anything too crazy happening. You want crazy, we brought it up last night, is they were one batter away from bringing this kid in to make his major league debut in the 11th inning in what would have been a save situation. He was warming. He was ready to go if Jordan Weems couldn't go any further. And Jordan Weems gave him everything he had in that game to give him two innings. So They've been wanting to put Willingham out there. Uh, They found a little bit of a better spot to do it here than would have been a save situation for his major league debut. Didn't start off great, but it finished great. Hopefully, he can breathe a sigh of relief and now just go be a a pitcher and not have to worry about any of this stuff. Yeah, and then we did see Hunter Harvey in this game. He tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth with a couple of swinging strikeouts. So good to see that. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Capert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats Chat listeners. If you want to see Morgan Wallen on September 2nd at FedEx Field, make sure you visit the Game Time app. They'll sort out ticket options based upon whatever you're looking for, whether it's cheapest or on pit row. Game Time has you covered. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. 
Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Plus, two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Natchat Podcast. The other night, my parents were at the Braves game. They live in Atlanta. What do you want from me? Anyhow, my mom texted me afterwards. She saw four guys stroll in, and one of them was wearing bird dogs. She said by far he looked the best of anyone in his group of friends. Bird dogs fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton, and I believe it based upon customer reviews. Go to birddogs.com pool and enter promo code P-O-O-L for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. They promise you. Here it comes. Swing a line drive, base hit, right field, down the line, headed to the corner. Long chase from right center for Hernandez. Ruiz is rounding third. He's being waved in. The throw in. Caballero fires toward the plate. And Ruiz tries to avoid the tag. And he is out for being out of the baseline. And Ruiz slams his helmet down and needs to be careful not to get tossed out of the game. Ruiz circumvented the tag, went behind the plate, and Davey Martinez is out to argue, saying he avoided the tag. And he's going to argue that the catcher was blocking the plate. Nationals can challenge this call. For now, Ruiz is out. Smith is at second with a double. And Martinez is going nose-to-nose with Derek Thomas. And Davey Martinez has been tossed. And now he's going right at Thomas, pointing at his face and screaming at him. The Nats offensively in this 4-1 win at Seattle on Wednesday. Four runs, eight hits, four walks, three for 11 with runners in scoring position. The eight hits were comprised of three doubles and five singles. The Nats scored three of the four runs in the first inning. How about this now? The Nats this season, 333 runs, 51 of those runs, 15.3%, have been first inning runs. So the Nats do continue to score early. They don't score often necessarily, but the Nats do score early. And the two big hits in the three-run first came from Jamer Candelario and Cape Ruiz, who ended up having a very interesting Wednesday. We'll get to that momentarily. But how about Candelario? Another double in this game. One for three, RBI double and a walk. He in that three-run first had a full count RBI double to the right center field gap for a one nothing Nats lead. He also, in the top of the third, drew a leadoff walk and then stole second base. He's number two on the Nats in OPS now at 8.09. And, you know, I think this can get forgotten 
The Nats signed Candelario this past offseason. This is a one-year, $5 million contract. That's it. And the guy is posting an OPS of 809. He's number one in the National League among third basemen in war per fan graphs for this season. It's funny, when we talk about deserving Nats for the National League All-Star team, everyone's talking Lane Thomas right now, and justifiably so. You still hear a decent amount of Josiah Gray. How come there isn't more Jamer Candelario conversation? I mean, isn't this guy doing enough to at least warrant being in the mix of uh, potential Nats All-Stars for this year? Yeah, he absolutely has. And the third base position is weaker. So there has always been this thought all along that it might be an easier path for him to be selected than Lane Thomas because there are so many good outfielders out there. I think what's happened is Lane has just taken off these last couple of weeks, taken it to a whole nother level that now he legitimately ranks among the league leaders in a whole bunch of uh, categories. But yeah, don't sleep on what Jamer has done. 26 doubles, only Freddie Freeman has more of them. We're one game away from the halfway point of the season. So you've got Candelario on pace for over 50 doubles for the season. That would be a club record. 47 is the Nationals' single season record set not by Tony Tubags. His career high was 44. It's actually Ryan Zimmerman in 2006 as a rookie and Daniel Murphy, the still playing Daniel Murphy with 47 of them in 2016. I don't know if Candelario is going to be a national for the entire season, so that may ruin his chance of doing this, but he is certainly on a pace to shatter that record and finish with the most doubles in Nationals history for a single season. Yeah, I mean, this is the anti-Nelson Cruz. I give Mike Rizzo and the Nats a lot of credit for this because this is working out beautifully. I mean, one year, $5 million, that's it. And he's giving you this kind of production and you hopefully can parlay him uh, into something decent come the trade deadline. So another good performance by Jamer Candelario. And then we had Kbert Ruiz. So this was one of these games in which we had both Kbert Ruiz and Riley Adams playing. Riley was a starting catcher. Kbert was a starting DH. Actually also was a cleanup batter with uh, Joey Manessis getting the day off. And uh, Kbert on Wednesday, two for three, two run single, another single, and a walk. His big blow came in that three run first, a two run single to right center for a three nothing Nats lead. Also for Kbert Ruiz, in this game. He and the Nats, one run six, had a leadoff single to center, but he then was called out at home in his attempt to score from first on a Dominic Smith first pitch double to right field. As the home plate umpire, Derek Thomas, ruled that uh, K. Barrett deviated too far from the base path in attempting to score. This was a weird scenario, just watching the game. It certainly didn't seem like K. Barrett did anything that egregious. What he did in trying to slide around the tag of the Mariners catcher, Tom Murphy, certainly didn't seem to be that bad, really that out of the ordinary. But Kbert got called out for running out of the base path, and Davey Martinez came out, argued, and ended up getting ejected. Now, the rule talks about this three-foot aspect of things to where you need to be no more than three feet away from a direct line between bases to avoid being tagged unless you're trying to avoid interference with the fielder fielding a batted ball. I thought it was interesting, and you tweeted out the quotes from the crew chief, Mark Carlson, to the pool reporter that the three feet thing has to do with three feet from a lane that the runner has established. So that certainly seems like that can complicate things. But like I said, just applying the eye test, it really didn't seem like K. Bert Ruiz did anything wrong. Did he do anything wrong? It's uh, a one of our favorites, Al. It's the judgment call. You know, it really is just one of those that you have to leave up to the interpretation 
of the umpire. Watching it live, I was just impressed with the agility that he showed. I've certainly seen runners try to do things like that. I've seen runners try to do even more than that and get away with it. And they're usually praised to high heaven for having the ability to elude a tag like that. Davey Martinez says, I've been in the major leagues for 38 years. I've never seen that call, but it is kind of one of these weird judgment calls. And yeah, the rule, and it is rule 7.08A1 that states a runner's out when he runs more than three feet away from his baseline. So that's the line that he establishes to avoid being tagged. The runner's baseline is established when the tag attempt occurs and is a straight line from the runner to the base, which he is attempting to reach. I would think once he moves to avoid the tag, he now kind of goes straight toward the plate to get it. I think the question is this, would the Mariners have argued if he was called safe? Maybe they would have, but I don't know that would have been as forcefully as Davey Martinez was arguing it. Now, let's keep in mind a few other things here. You have a, I believe, rookie umpire in Derek Thomas who maybe overstepped his bounds a little bit on a call that you don't often see even from a veteran umpire. And of course, you have the history of pretty much any close call, controversial call involving running the bases and the Nationals over the last several years is always going to go against the Nationals. So I think that compounds it. If this is in a vacuum, maybe they're not quite as upset about it. But Davey also said, admitted that the reason he ran out there, the reason he got as animated as he did is he was trying to protect Kabert from being ejected from the game. Keep in mind, they're using both their catchers in this game. One is the DH, one as the starting catcher. If Ruiz is ejected, and God forbid something happens to Riley Adams, Ildemaro Vargas is your catcher for the rest of this game. So I think that had a little bit to do with the reaction that Davey Martinez gave to it. Let's also point this out because, you know, to be fair, he was going to be dead to rights at the plate. It was a bad send by Gary DeSarcina, waving a guy, a catcher, all the way around from first base. Ruiz is huffing and puffing as he tries to score. He was going to be out by a mile. So if he had scored, it would have been kind of a miracle in itself. But the thing everybody's wondering is if you can't run around, what are you supposed to do in that situation? And Mark Carlson told the pool reporter, if the catcher's in possession of the ball, the runner still has the opportunity to touch home plate. And if there's a collision with the catcher having the ball, it's legal. The rule is put in there to protect the catcher for when he doesn't have the ball and he's blocking the plate. But if the catcher has possession of the ball, then the runner still has the ability to collide with him. Davey Martinez, Cabert Ruiz didn't seem to believe that. I'm not sure Cabert wanted to collide with a catcher in that situation. But according to Mark Carlson, that would have been perfectly legal if he had done that there. Yeah, I think the extent to which MLB has gone to prevent home plate collisions to now all of a sudden say, well, in these circumstances, you can do home plate collisions. I don't think that flies. I mean, I I don't think most people are going to hear that and say, oh, okay, that's easy to remember. Like, that's easy to apply in an instant situation like that. You know, baseball is filled with these quirky rules and these hard to understand rules. And I know there are some people who think that that's part of the appeal of the sport. And, you know, look, to each his own. I think stuff like this gets in the way of people enjoying baseball. I I think stuff like this is like the over minutiaizing of the sport, you know, and I don't think it really does anyone any good, you know, like why exactly do you have it so that a play that looks perfectly fine and I think in the minds of most people was fine ends up not being fine. And what you end up having here 
is a great slide by Kbert Ruiz being negated. And so what should be a highlight-worthy play, you know, a play that gets showcased on SportsCenter on, and on MLB Network and online, instead gets wiped out. And it's this bizarro out that nobody really can understand or explain. I don't think that's good for baseball. Like, I think there's like a common sense factor that needs to be applied to something like this. And obviously that did not happen. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. We should be talking about what an amazing play it was by Cabert Ruiz, not the kind of guy you would normally expect that sort of thing from. And instead, he's punished for it for going too far out of the so-called baseline. Now, look, you have to have rules. You can't have a situation where a guy just deviates all the way around and makes a mockery of it to try to avoid the tag. And I've seen those called. I don't think I've ever seen it called where you're making a good faith attempt to avoid what's going to be an obvious out. And if you're able to pull that thing off, good for you. I think so. I think most fans would say the same thing. Now, maybe we're creating more of a problem by leaving it up to determine how far is too far. But I agree. There is a little too much of the minutia of it. And yeah, it's a judgment call, but I feel like judgment is different than common sense. And too often, they're not given the ability to use common sense. And like I said, a rookie umpire behind the plate. I don't know how the other umpires felt about it, but why not let them huddle up discuss it. Hey, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, you know what? Actually, I know you're trying to make a call. This may be the first time you've ever dealt with one of these. I think it's too much. I think we should allow it. Like, don't you think that should be okay for umpires to huddle up together and get the call right and use the experience of those who've been doing it for a long time when it's a less experienced guy making an obviously controversial call? You don't see many umpire huddles, uh, that's for sure. I mean, you see huddles a lot from NFL and NBA officials, even NHL officials. You don't see many, if any, in Major League Baseball. Well, I'll forgive you because I'm sure you were sleeping on Tuesday night, but they did on Tuesday night with one of the many pitch clock violations that was called. They huddled up and they changed it because the issue was that the, the PA system, uh, the music was still playing. And so that negated the pitch clock violation. So we even saw evidence in this series from the same crew that it can be done. They just chose not to do it on this play on Wednesday. Well, all I want to know is how does Derek Thomas get his hair so perfectly combed while working as a home plate umpire in a game? I've never seen a home plate umpire with hair that perfectly combed mid-game as Derek Thomas had in this game on Wednesday. So somebody needs to explain that to me. The other Nats run in this game was scored via an RBI double by Ildemaro Vargas. Uh, no C.J. Abrams on Wednesday off him getting hit by the pitch there on Tuesday night. So Vargas, as an Nats number six batter and starting shortstop, one for three, RBI double and a walk. Uh, he had a one run six at a one out opposite field RBI double. But the real reason I'm bringing up Ildemaro Vargas is something that I came across during my absence that I have to share on the show. John Morosi of MLB Network, a very good MLB insider, put out a tweet on Monday morning identifying Ildemaro Vargas as a trade ship. I brought this up on the show weeks ago. You scoffed at the notion <laughs> of Vargas as a trade ship. And Morosi on Monday morning, quote, the Nats are popular sellers because of bullpen arms like Kyle Finnegan. Yeah, I wouldn't be so sure about that. But one rival team official told me Ildemaro Vargas could add value for a postseason team. And quote, the dream could happen. A. Ray Adrianza last year, Ildemaro Vargas this year. Could it be? Might it be? I feel like we're a step closer to that becoming reality. 
Well, here's my question. Is that rival executive that John Morosi talked to actually named Al Galdi? <laughs> I don't know. It might be Mike Rizzo's twin brother, but whoever it was who said that, uh, I got a kick out of that. So we shall see with Oldemar Vargas. But man, it feels like every time he plays, he does something. He contributes in some way, and he did it again in this game on Wednesday. Look, he is a valuable player who does a lot of different things. He has gone above and beyond, I think, since they called him up last summer and doing way more than you would ever think a guy like him should do. And yeah, there is value in that. And maybe there is a team out there that come August 1st would say, hey, you know what we could use? A good, solid utility player. Ildemar Vargas is the guy for us, and we're willing to give up our 27th best prospect to get him. So who knows? Maybe it is in the cards. And hey, as you've mentioned many times, the Nationals only made two trades last summer. One of them is one of the biggest trades of all time. The other one was A. Ray Adrianza to the Braves. So don't ever rule out the possibility of the small ones that you don't think are going to generate as much interest. Well, speaking of prospects, we had some good Nats prospect news on Wednesday morning. We learned that the Nats have promoted starting pitcher Jackson Rutledge from Double A Harrisburg to Triple A Rochester. The rise of Jackson Rutledge this season really has been good to see. So this is his age 24 season. The Nats took Rutledge out of San Jacinto College, a, a public community college in Texas, with the number 17 overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. He is a big dude. He is that classic power pitcher that Mike Rizzo loves. The Nats list Jackson Rutledge as being 6'8 and 251 pounds, but he the last two seasons struggled with injury and ineffectiveness. And so it really has stood out that Rutledge this season, and by the way, making the jump from low A Fredericksburg to double A Harrisburg, not an easy thing to do. He skipped high A Wilmington has been good. Rutledge for Harrisburg, 12 starts, 68 in a third innings, ERA of 316, a whip of 1098, and a strikeouts per nine innings of 8.2. He's not, say, a top 100 prospect, although he may be pitching his way into being that, but just the fact that he's healthy and performing well, and now has been elevated to AAA I mean, really good to see. I think every Nats fan would have signed up for this. And the fact that he's at AAA and we're not even into July yet does open up the possibility for him making his major league debut this season. It does. The one caveat would be I'm sure they're watching his innings very closely given all the injuries that he's been through before. This was going to be a season about staying healthy and starting to work his way up the organizational ladder at last. It's gone wonderfully, and that's great for him and great for the organization. Even if he does not reach the big leagues this year, or even if he doesn't ever reach the big leagues, this is still a good step for a guy who had dealt with all kinds of injury problems the last few years and is finally showing that he can not only be healthy, but be successful. But yes, he is on the Nationals' radar as they look at a number of guys who could provide rotation depth for them. They're going to be watching some of their young pitchers' innings at the big league level. They're going to need some starts from somebody along the way. And whether that's at the end of this year or whether it's going into next year, just the fact that Jackson Rutledge is pitching and pitching well and taking the mound every fifth day and moving up the ladder is a wonderful development. And you hope it does ultimately result at some point in him making his major league debut because that's a nice comeback story for a kid who's been through a lot the last several years. No doubt. Well, Nats get a well-deserved off day 
on Thursday. And then the Nats have a uh, three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies this weekend. Uh, game one, Friday evening at 6.05. Game two, Saturday afternoon, 4.05. Game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to our website, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. Hey, thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out his site, TimNewmark.com. So for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we're going to leave you now with the great Jim Callis uh, during his conversation with our own Tim Shobers talking about the Nats top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli. Uh, of course, it was this past March that we got the bad news of uh, Cade Cavalli being done for the season due to needing Tommy John surgery on his right elbow. Cade Cavalli, who the Nats took with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. The big question would be, well, what about Cade Cavalli pitching for the Nats next season as he was to have been a part of the Nats rotation this season? So we'll leave you with Jim Callis talking Cade Cavalli. And uh, we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. With the 22nd pick of the 2020 MLB Draft, the Washington Nationals select Cade Cavalli, a right-handed pitcher from the University of Oklahoma. The Cleveland Indians have the next pick. He'll be back pitching, you know, probably not necessarily opening day next year, but I would think early in the season. You know, again, you know, the Nationals are still kind of getting back to contention. So I don't think it's a case where, okay, okay, the Nationals are, you know, going to be really in the thick of things next year and you're hoping to rush him back. Seemed like he was pitching better before he went down. The bigger question with him is, you know, even going back to high school, like I think he's been, you know, outside of, you know, 2021 and two, he's been hurt a lot. You know, not, not necessarily elbow, but I think it's back issues going on at one point too. So I think you feel pretty good about him coming back from elbow reconstruction. And it's a shame because it seemed like he was, you know, pitching better before he got got hurt last year. But, you know, it's just kind of like the modern era of pitching. You just kind of accept that all these guys get hurt. And I think, you know, it's weird to say, but you, you hope it's an elbow and not a shoulder. And in which case, this, in this case it was. Wait, what about your vomit streak? I know, I haven't thrown up since June 29, 1980. <laughs> Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.